Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. The 90-year-old former bishop of Hong Kong was uh, apparently arrested uh, and released, but uh, you know he still has charges pending against him. Uh, this, it, it, to many of us, this seems like extraordinary outrage. Uh, Cardinal Zen has been a longtime champion of pro-democracy forces. Uh, he's also uh, been a, a, a tremendous advocate for the underground church uh, in China. With me right now to talk about this arrest, its significance, is Benedict Rogers. He's chief, chief executive of Hong Kong Watch, a human rights activist that specializes in Asia. He writes on Christian solidarity worldwide. He did serve, or does serve, with the UK Conservative Party's Human Rights Committee, and you can follow his work at Benedict Rogers, and uh, you can also visit HongKongWatch.org. Benedict, good to have you back. Thanks. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. Does this is this as outrageous as it seems to me? Uh, you know, you follow, you monitor these things m- much more carefully, but I mean, who who goes ahead and arrests a ninety-year-old cardinal? former bishop, archbishop, who does that? Well, exactly. No, it it is totally outrageous. I mean, the situation in Hong Kong has been getting more and more outrageous, and a lot of things in the last couple of years that I never would have expected to happen have happened. So in that context, it may be slightly less surprising than it first appears. But of course, overall, um, arresting a a 90-year-old cardinal um, and one of the most senior uh, Catholic leaders in in Asia is um, is appalling. Is this going to force the Vatican's hand? Uh, we don't know still very much about the uh, treaty that they had with the Communist Chinese. Uh, they certainly have to take take note of this arrest of Cardinal Zen, don't they? Uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, two things have have been said today on this particular aspect that I think are significant. Um, firstly, the uh, Vatican has itself expressed uh, concern about the arrest and has said that it is watching with, I think the phrase was, extreme attention. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, um, in, normally I would have expected uh, <laughs> a much more um, outright condemnation of the arrest but actually, given the Vatican's uh, um, deal with Beijing and its, its uh, reluctance to speak out uh, on issues in, in China, uh, uh, it set itself a very low bar. And the fact that it said anything, it was a pleasant surprise to, to mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but secondly, the, uh, the last governor of Hong Kong, uh, Chris Patton, who is himself a, a very committed Catholic, uh, has today uh, issued a statement through Hong Kong Watch, because he's one of our patrons, uh, and he has said that uh, he hopes the Vatican uh, will uh, seriously reconsider this deal. I mean, he, I think his words were, surely this is a nail in the coffin of that deal. Yeah. Um, and that the Vatican must uh, speak out much more robustly. Yeah, yeah. It, it, when, when your senior church officials cannot, uh, you know, come and go with uh, freedom, you know there's something seriously wrong uh, in the relationship between the church and the uh, uh, persecuting communist government. Uh, he was uh, he was released, and what was he arrested for? What, what, what is the the crime that he's been arrested for? Exactly, what is it? So my understanding is that he, uh, along with several other uh, trustees of this foundation that was uh, uh, helping 
the people who are arrested uh, for, for political protest pay their, their legal fees. Um, and it's worth noting that alongside him, uh, among those who were arrested were um, uh, one of Hong Kong's most internationally respected lawyers, Margaret Ung, uh, and also one of the, their most popular singers, Denise Ho, hmm. uh, and, and, a, and, a, and also an international uh, scholar and an academic. Um, and they were all arrested because they were trustees of this foundation. Uh, my understanding is that they were initially arrested under the national security law, this, this very draconian law that Beijing imposed on Hong Kong two years ago. Um, and they, they were accused of uh, collusion with foreign political forces. Um, now, it's unclear now that they've been released on bail whether that specific charge will be pursued or whether they may uh, be, be brought to court on on other charges, and I've had conflicting information from different sources. What's not in doubt is charges still remain, and they will uh, face a, a case uh, uh, unless international pressure is, is put uh, on, on the regime to drop the case. But I'm not too sure which charges are going to be pursued at this stage. I see. Okay. Uh, what is the, the current status of Jimmy Lai? Well, he's uh, in jail. Uh, he faces multiple charges, uh, some of his cases have been to, to trial, and, and he's uh, serving some sentences, but he's got other, uh, other uh, cases still uh, pending. And um, the likelihood is that he's going to face many years in, in jail and potentially the rest of his life in jail. Oh, gee. Uh, it's, it's just, I mean, it's an incredible uh, disappointment. I mean... I remember when the transfer of Hong Kong was made, uh, and it was—you know—it struck me as a little strange. But I don't—I didn't know the history that well, or what the British, you know, what they could do or what they couldn't do. So I just said, "Oh, okay, well, that's going to happen." But I would have expected that Hong Kong would stay pretty much within the Western orbit. Uh, it looks as though that's simply—it's going to be awfully difficult to do that, given uh, Beijing's uh, claims right now. Is that right? Well, that's exactly right. And I mean, that indeed had been the uh, the hope and uh, more than a hope, it was actually the promise. Um, Britain and China signed in 1984 in preparation for the handover, the Sino-British Joint Declaration. And China promised in that declaration to uh, protect Hong Kong's way of life, its autonomy, its freedoms, its rule of law, human rights, uh, at least for the first 50 years uh, from the time of the handover. So at least until... 2047. Mm -hmm. uh, after 2047, what would happen to Hong Kong was was uncertain. But the the legal pledge from Beijing was that Hong Kong would stay pretty much as it was. Um, and indeed, there's actually a promise of, of universal suffrage in the uh, mini constitution of Hong Kong, uh, the basic law. And we're less than halfway through that 50 year period. And Beijing has completely shattered its promises, broken that treaty, uh, and is in the process of of turning Hong Kong into just another Chinese city under the direct control of the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, I assume that the troubles for uh, Catholics and other Christians uh, in mainland China continue. Uh, can you describe for our listeners the kind of restrictions that uh, those Catholics and other Christians who are associated with state-sponsored churches uh, what, what kind of restrictions do they operate under? 
Well, they face uh, very severe restrictions. Uh, for example, um, uh, it, it is now um, prohibited for uh, under-18s to go to, to church. Um, uh, in the state-controlled churches, uh, there are surveillance cameras uh, uh, monitoring everybody who's there. So you're taking a risk even by going into a, a state-controlled church because your presence will be recorded yeah. and maybe later used against you. Um, and the Chinese Communist Party has insisted on displaying uh, Communist Party propaganda uh, either alongside or in some cases even in place of uh, religious uh, imagery. Uh, and at this point, there's no sign of a growing uh, discontent with uh, uh, Chinese leadership there. Is that right? I mean, they're still operating as one their polyp what accounts of their Politburo? Um, yes, I mean I think it, it's if there was discontent, my my sense is that people would would not uh, be showing it uh, overtly because as soon as they display it overtly, uh, they'll be okay. locked up. Um, and so there's a real climate of fear. Um, I don't think that means that there isn't discontent. Okay. I think it means that. Uh, People just uh, haven't found a way yet of organizing and, 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 and challenging uh, Xi Jinping and the current leadership um, in a way that uh, could, could be effective and, and doesn't get them immediately arrested. I'm going to ask one of these large questions that I know is difficult to answer, but it's, it's curious to me, uh, and, and maybe you can really nail it down, I don't know. What happened? Uh, it was thought that uh, by opening diplomatic relations with China during the Nixon years that, uh, you know, there'd be a thawing of relationships. Then there was China's uh, uh, beginning to adopt certain uh, principles of free enterprise, and it was thought that as economic uh, economic growth continued that there'd be people would begin to demand more political growth. Uh, and it looked it looked as though that was happening until uh, Xi Jinping, and who now is set up looks like a cult of personality going back to Mao. What happened there, or did we or did we misread it? Did we were overly optimistic? Is that what was the problem? Well, I think with hindsight, we probably were overly optimistic. Although um, I myself, you know, was regularly in China in in the late 1990s and and through the early 2000s, and and saw that sense of of opening. I, I mean, I was cautious about it, but I still had a sense of of hope that things really were opening. I think probably um, one of the main things that happened was that um, the hardline wing of of the Communist Party. Uh, basically were, were spooked by how much opening there was, and they saw uh, civil society opening up, uh, Chinese human rights lawyers beginning to have space to take on cases and, and practice. Uh, uh, they saw uh, some degree of liberalization for religion, albeit still with a lot of restrictions. But I think they saw all this uh, uh, liberalization and, and opening um, and, and thought this is a threat to uh, our power, at the same time, I think they also, um, I think the turning point was actually uh, a few years before Xi Jinping, probably around the time of the 2008 uh, Olympics, um, where there were attempts to protest uh, around the Olympics. Um, and then, of course, there were the various color revolutions uh, around the world, the Arab Spring, right. uh, uh, Ukraine, and, and, and Georgia, elsewhere. Georgia, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, um, and, and I think the combination of um, the various uprisings around the world and um, this sense that space was opening up too fast and was posing a threat to the party, that made them uh, clamp down. And Xi Jinping, I think, is... Um, one person described him... I, I've just been writing a book on China, and one expert said to me they, they described Xi Jinping as an accelerator, someone who didn't initiate the crackdown, but he certainly intensified and accelerated it. Gotcha. Benedict, thanks so much. I uh, appreciate talking to you, uh, although not under these conditions. We'll talk soon. Yes. Bye-bye. Thank you.